for joining us for another episode of the Phoenix Home Revival podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Yonacone. And today we have with us Connor. How you doing, Connor? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so, Connor, tell me a little about yourself. We, we've been featuring you as a, a patron of the month, or rather the uh, photographer of the month, and uh, sharing your work on our Instagram and on social media. Um but yeah, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, thank you for featuring me. Uh, I, my name is Connor Greenwald. I am a Phoenix native, born and raised, originally from the East Valley, kind of Gilbert area. Went to high school out there, went to college over at Grand Canyon University for digital film production, and then eventually kind of found myself in traditional film photography about 18 months ago, outside of, you know, taking a, a point and shoot to uh, a concert or a festival. Uh, outside of that, just like a lot of different hobbies, pretty creative in, in all aspects, I'd like to say. And that's just kind of my day to day. Awesome. Uh, well, I dig that. Um, uh, what do you do for a living? So my, my official title is instructional designer, but really I help within an electrical contracting company called Rosenden. I help create videos, photography, um, teaching metrics, LinkedIn learning videos, all for anything electrical contracting from safety to how to install PVC pipe, how to bend pipe, this, that, and the other. I don't have an electrical background, but I do a lot of that photo and video. Oh, that's cool. So you're involved with it, um, both in your profession and uh, kind of on the side. You, Yeah, you absolutely. Filming? do photography and stuff, uh, for a living. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, cool. Uh, let's see, let's, uh, let's hear about some of the hobbies that you like to do. So right now I'm kind of pretty obsessed with, I got a 3d printer a couple months ago, so I've been 3d printing all sorts of things, mostly dungeons and dragons related. Um, I have a good group of friends that we kind of started up about 16 months ago and I've just dive deeper and deeper into it. And so that's kind of been my go-to is printing stuff and then painting the miniatures, getting the campaign together, having that go on, hiking, um, digital photography, film photography, this, that, and the other. I was really into doing kind of digital artwork with After Effects for a while, but as the pandemic and you sit at your TV or your screen every day, I just needed something to get out a little bit more compared to just looking at a computer all day. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I was hiking a lot for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's it's nice to get outdoors. It's a little hard when it's uh, this yeah. hot now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, temperature here just sucks. Uh, we, Stacey and I just went on a walk last night, um, which was which was really nice. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you can actually go outside. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it would be nice if it was a little cooler here. But the end is near, hopefully. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I can't wait for it. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've really done much with Dungeons and Dragons, but I've seen it on. You know, part Stranger of it things. was, yeah, inspired by <laughs> Stranger Things and we kind of sat around and talked about it. I'm like, why not? And so it's just, it's really fun because you get people together and you just kind of enter this make-believe whatnot and you just sit around with your friends and half of it's on the computer, half of it's in front of us. And it's really just something to disconnect. I think that's what we really use it for is just, and we have it for a monthly get together. So now you're like, okay, once a month, I'm going to get with my friends. We're going to hang out, you know, have fun. Not really care. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who was trying to get me mm -hmm. into it. I'm like, that sounds kind of nerdy, but <laughs> he's like, there's beer. I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I never got in with him, but I'm, I might have to 
do something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I would encourage it. And depending on your group, uh, as we kind of continue this inter- interview, you'll see I'm not as technical as some people when it comes to anything. I just like hobbies for hobbies. So we're pretty fast and loose with it. So yeah. it's just, just to get together. That's cool. Uh, that's good to hear about. Um, get a little bit of background on, on who Connor is. Um, so we're here uh, chatting about film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of what kind of got you into film? What was it that drove you to want to kind of shoot? So initially it was just kind of having keepsakes when I go to these music festivals or concerts. You know, you have your phone, you, you videotape your favorite song and never look at it again. So that was kind of the, the foot in the door was, OK, bring a disposable, have that. You know, if it gets tossed around in the dirt, it'll be OK, hopefully. Um, and yeah. then about 18 months ago, maybe two years now, one of my good buddies and also a photographer of the month, Dino Jagger, um, he oh, yeah, really, Dino. yeah, he dived super deep into it with getting like a Mamiya 7. And we met the first day of college. So we're, we've been good friends ever since. And he's like, you need to do this. You need to do this. So I brought it up to my dad and he still had his original AE1 program from the 80s. And he just, he's a collector of all things. So it was in great condition. He gave it to me in a couple rolls of film and that was that. And so throughout 2021, Dino and I made a, a promise once a month to go on a trip for film photography, just to get the camera in the hand and stay familiar. And that was kind of that. And so that really led into it all throughout, I'd say last year was really my big deep dive into it all. Okay. So you'd say you'd been a, a, at least a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've, you know, I've, like I said, disposables were really the initial, but I would say about now kind of the two year mark of really having a, a true film camera in my hand and, and caring about a little bit more than just pressing the button. Yeah. That's awesome. I've, I've talked to quite a few people and I've always asked, what is it that got you into film? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's been a similar story. Uh, you know, usually your family member has a camera and mm-hmm. you pick it up and kind of go off with it. Um, and, uh, you know, start doing your own thing with it. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a tough question. It's like, what, what's, what draws you into film? Mm-hmm. What is it that, uh, gets you to want to actually shoot film, especially, you know, with, the ability to shoot digital now it's like you have to pay money to get it developed and processed and scan it and it's you gotta wait and all this sort of stuff it's like what's the drive there but that's i guess it's just something that you know it's it's more tactile it's has a different feel to it Mm -hmm. i guess you don't have to worry about uh disposable camera you spent Mm -hmm. 20 bucks on disappearing (laughs) uh if you go to a concert or something um to go shoot with it which um which makes sense um Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, film photography is, is amazing. Um, there's so many different things that you can do with film and, uh, directions that you can go with it. Uh, speaking of you, you've kind of, uh, gone into trichromes. Um, uh, what, uh, what are trichromes? Yeah. So trichrome photography is kind of reverse engineering color film through black and white. So you take three different images with different filters and I can go into a little bit more detail there. And then you put them in Photoshop and turn into RGB, red, green, blue. And then you kind of just overlay them over the top, kind of, kind of how your TV works. There's the red, green, and blue channels. And then once you overlay them with a linear dodge, all of a sudden you have full color. And so that's really where I found that, especially in infrared. Oh yeah. Okay. What, um, what, uh, pulled you away from doing just regular film to kind of get into trichromes? Uh, mostly it was the infrared aspect to it. Of course, when you start hearing about film and you hear the, the good old days and then you hear about aerochrome and you look at these photos, you're like, how the heck did this even exist? Or how did, how, how do you make this nowadays if this film is long gone or it's 200 bucks for a roll? 
So I found a YouTube channel or a couple of videos and they were talking about trichrome photography and it's really kind of a low budget way to get into kind of recreating that look as well as just it's a, it's a cool technique if you want to add some kind of artistry to, to color film or black and white turning it to color. Okay. So basically it's like a different, uh, different way to achieve a color photo and, uh, and basically create an image uh, from three, essentially three um, yeah. black and white images. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty rad. Um, yeah, the infrared aspect is pretty interesting too. Um, uh, a lot of people don't realize there was uh, like Kodak HIE was a really awesome film, mm-hmm. um, which isn't produced anymore. Um, but I have got a coworker who's very um, he he really loved that film uh, and uh, the the range that you get with the uh, infrared on that is just amazing. Shoot anything that's green and it just pops. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting with uh, with film. I think uh, uh, it's kind of you know we kind of take for granted all the magic that happens with film, mm-hmm. and um, you know with a digital camera, you snap a photo, or like with your phone, you snap a photo, and then boom, you have an image, and it's almost exactly what you see with your eye. As where with film, there's some there's uh, films kind of capturing this different essence of a scene, and with with infrared, you actually get to see beyond what you would normally see with your eyes. You actually get to have the um, anything that's green kind of pot more mm-hmm. um, and go a little bit brighter. Um, do you follow Asa Culver? I do not believe. Oh, yeah, actually, I do. She just reached out recently. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah she's um, she's been doing uh, a bunch of trichrome, but she's been doing a digital version of it, which mm-hmm. has been uh, pretty interesting. Um, and I think she just went on, um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, residency. She just had a residency, um, mm-hmm. to go somewhere to, to shoot uh, a bunch of trichrome digital photos, uh, which I thought were interesting. Cause I guess the digital cameras modified in order to shoot that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, trichromes are, uh, definitely interesting. There is a, it's, it's crazy cause there's a photo that I saw that kind of popped up and it was a full color photo before color film was even invented. Mm-hmm. And what this guy did was he had shot three different black and white images of, I think it was a self portrait of him next to a stream. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like amazing the color detail, uh, cause they, you know, basically you have three channels and you mix those together and you essentially end up with a color image. It's like, um, separation is kind of like with, uh, screen printing where you have mm-hmm. multiple layers layer layer them together to create that color it's like an additive process um but yeah trichromes are trichromes are interesting i've noticed um a little bit of uh, a jump in interest there um i've definitely at least seen more people post about them um it's a bummer that we're kind of limited on uh, infrared film that you're able to get um i think you mentioned previously that there's a Rolly film that you like mm-hmm. that's infrared? Yeah, really infrared's probably the one I go to the most just for the ease of, of purchase, especially now in, in 2022 film purchasing days uh, when it's hard to find certain things. And it works well. All you really need to buy is an infrared filter to block out most natural light. So that's that's the most expensive barrier to entry, I would say. It's usually like 25, 30 bucks. I have a, a 750 UM or NM. Someone will probably correct me on that, but that's kind of the, the wave of infrared. So there's different levels to it. So you can get more 
closer to natural light so it'll have a little bit more of a true black and white field and then you can get more and more where it blocks out almost certain portions of the infrared light so it'll become okay. more and more contrasty so i believe 750 is kind of smack dab in the middle of infrared when it comes to that um again like i said i i kind of i, I play fast and loose with this stuff so i okay. once it works it works for me so i don't get too much in the details i like where Film to me has that magic of science meets technology meets that magic of, you know, all of a sudden this chemical takes in that light and then you have that photo. And so yeah. that, that, that's what I love about it. So sometimes I like to leave that magic there instead of learning all the science behind it. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you can get definitely caught up in the details with, mm-hmm. with stuff. Um, I'm, I'm the type of person who's very technical and um, I get really technical and I get to a point where I'm, I get bored of something. I move on. Mm-hmm. Um so it's, it's hard because uh, I just want to know everything about something and then do it and then I, I lose the creativity behind it. So mm-hmm. um, uh, so I dig that. Um, yeah, trichromes, are, trichromes sound really interesting. So um, as far as setup, it's really not too difficult to, to go down the road of doing trichromes. You really just need a filter, um, a program you can uh, you know, make your adjustments in. You're yeah. taking three images with three different filters, is that mm-hmm. correct? So. Yeah, so the, the process I use for it is essentially you need those RGB layers. So the, the R, the red, is your infrared, so you throw that on there. And then your your G green, I've some, seen some people use a green filter over their black and white just for that, but I usually just take, uh, like a, let's say, a naked black and white with no filter on the lens. And then the blue is just a blue layer uh, or a blue filter over the top. And what that does with black and white is it, it, you know, it filters out certain lighting and whatnot. And then from there, what I do is I bring it into Lightroom or Photoshop, kind of clean it up a little bit. And then you just pretty much add hue saturation to it, turn it into a a red cast. Sometimes you have to make it a little bit darker because when you're stacking that much light on top of each other, you give it a green cast and a blue cast. And then I believe it's linear dodge add on Photoshop. And then there you go. After that, the, the magic is made. In the camera itself, though, what you have to do is you take your your kind of your true light metered, what you would take for a black and white with your green layer. So that would just be whatever the, the light meter tells you to do. The blue layer, they tell you to stop one stop down to get a little bit more light in there. And then for infrared, it's usually five stops down from your original light meter. Or you can bracket and go from there. Usually I'll do five stops down and then six, depending, just because I like sometimes a little bit brighter versus a little bit darker. Okay. How does um, infrared help versus... Um using just like a standard black and white, like a Tri-X or T-Max or... So that that's where the infrared really plays a part in there. So if you want to just do straight trichrome photography, you don't need to have that infrared filter, but you'd still need a red filter to do that. But the infrared itself is where you start getting your light sources from trees or plants because chlorophyll is what is in plants and it refracts light. And so when you put an infrared filter on top of it, all of a sudden it looks like it's glowing because that's just the chlorophyll in the plant. So cactus, especially being blessed in Arizona, you can get pink or red cactus. Anything that's a plant, you can really get these really cool red colors. And so that's where aerochrome comes from is it's getting the chlorophyll out of the the trees, at least as I know it. Okay. So basically you're able to essentially selectively um, pick, pick colors in the process and shift that to a different color so essentially you could you can take that and make it go pink mm-hmm. um so that's kind of cool um it's it's interesting because you kind of think beyond uh the colors that you see um you know you see a rainbow of colors you see a full spectrum of colors mm-hmm. but now you're able to to go in there and then manipulate uh particular colors to make them stand out a little bit more like you, you wouldn't typically see a pink cactus or mm-hmm. pink leaves but you're able to to actually 
um, recreate what it is that you see and kind of almost like identify it, um, uh, make it stand out against everything else and create uh, a different different version of it. Um, uh, some bugs, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, there's other animals. Hummingbirds supposedly can see red. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different animals that have, they can see a little bit more towards the infrared spectrum. How much? I'm not a scientist in that regard. But yeah. that, that's what I... That's what draw, drew it to me is you can get these really alien landscapes for, you know, a generic forest is green with maybe in the fall orange and red. But now you can make it look like it's a red planet just because you have that infrared and you throw that color back in in post. Yeah, it's, it makes it interesting because you, you start to think uh, along the lines of like insects and animals and how they actually view the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a different perspective there. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, and in the meantime, you're making art. Yeah. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's cool to see. Uh, it's cool to see trichromes. I really dig the process, um, and it's cool that you can shift over to infrared and have a, a definitely a different feel to it. Um, that's that's totally rad. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to add to the trichromes? Um, the biggest thing I would say is make sure your tripod is as stable as possible because when you stack those three images on top of them, if they move at all, you'll get kind of maybe two layers will line up and you'll have like, let's say a green side to it and it doesn't line up as much. So my word of advice would get, you know, something with maybe a quick release or just really tighten down your tripod as much as possible. And you can get some really cool artifacts. So let's say you're at a busy park and someone walks past and you get them in one shot and the other, they'll come out yellow or blue on there. So it kind of, it, I like it cause it's just something a little bit different. You don't see it in a normal photo. And if you really start to think in that lens of, okay, if I want a duck, let's say on one frame on the left side and another one on the right, and they'll come out on different colors depending on what photo or what frame they were taken on. Yeah. Um, that's a, uh, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely have a stable tripod <laughs> and, uh, think about the subject that you want to shoot mm-hmm. and how you want to portray that. Um, all good things. Um, let's, uh, let's segue a little bit into, um, film again, mm-hmm. uh, more of a broader aspect of it. Um, it's been a while since, uh, we've done a podcast. Um, and, uh, it was a definitely different uh, landscape for uh, film. Uh, I think it's been at least a year and a half now since we've recorded, and uh, there's been some changes, uh, some challenges. Uh, we've uh, gone through COVID and supply chain issues with uh, the world, and that's definitely affected film. Um, but uh, let's start with the resurgence in film photography. Um, I've been in it for a while, so I've kind of seen uh, seen it grow and change. Um, when we first started the dark room, it was, uh, kind of a small, very tight knit community of, uh, film photographers. Uh, I got brought in by a person after I had posted on Facebook and they had t- told me, Hey, there's a little group here. These people still shoot film. And that kind of drove me to want to connect more people. I'm like, Oh, cool. That's my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, people who shoot film. This is great. And, um, the, the community, uh, in, in my little world kind of grew and, uh, I started connecting with more people and, um, yeah, so that's kind of where it was about five or six years ago. It was a very small film, wasn't really a huge topic, but since then it's definitely picked up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, film photography is just, it's, it's huge. Um, it's hard to see it outside of the world that I'm in cause I mm-hmm. see film all day. So I'm like 
film is everybody's talking about film mm-hmm. um but uh yeah tell me how how it's been for you what was your your perspective on how things have changed um since you got into film yeah uh for one i think the the, the scarcity which i will probably talk about a little later with film um has definitely gone up even from the beginning of 2021 uh when i first really started diving deep i go on amazon and get five packs of pretty much any color film you want and it wasn't ridiculous it was average about 10 bucks a roll but I think uh, I, I like to equate it to vinyl in that sense. If I think people are trying to yearn for something more tactile, something more keepsake going forward, we maybe at least for my generation grew up with your parents with the picture books and the holidays. And you had something that had more of, I don't know, it, it was cemented more in reality compared to the photo on your phone that you just kind of look at. You may get a memory from uh, your iPhone, but past that, it just lives there. It, for me, I feel like you can bring something more into the world in that regard. And then the the second part for me that I see is I think some people like the delayed gratification of it all. Because with your iPhone, you can take a million until you get that perfect shot. You can do that with films. It can be expensive. But uh, I think for me, that was the biggest draw and uh, for my friends as well that have really gotten into it is the fact that you get this moment, you take the photo and you have to wait. If you have your own dark room, you don't have to wait that long. But for most people that take it to a lab, you wait maybe five days to a week or however long that time is. And I think that's where a lot of the joy came from me. And I think with a lot of my friends is just this, everyone wants something tactile now. And you see a lot of, I think large social media presence from celebrities and whatnot having, you know, really expensive point and shoots or nice cameras. And I think it's just that overall aesthetic of this nostalgia that I think is lost with so much of a digital world nowadays. Yeah, I definitely agree. I had, uh, I had, uh, photo albums when I was growing up and I remember very specific photos that existed uh, that were memories and uh, it's, I don't know, film, film photography is different than digital. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, it's a physical process, um, which is also, it, it's interesting though. We had photo albums when we were kids, mm-hmm. but as we've gotten older, like you're saying, even, even with film though, a lot of people don't print their stuff. They still have it stored in a digital world. It's mm-hmm. just, um, inevitably the the world that we live in um i work in print production and it it's um art the art world too is definitely um something that interests me uh just uh how people buy and sell their work and you know what the interest is in in different mediums uh we do reproductions of paintings uh photography and unless you have a really established name in in that regards, you're probably not going to have a, a huge audience to like sell your work to. Um, there's a Mangelson that we, we produce, um, at my, at my job and, um, he's a wildlife photographer, but you know, he started out shooting film and then he's transitioned into shooting digital. Um, that's a little bit of a, um, kind of a little bit of a, uh, segue, uh, away from mm-hmm. the topic of film, but, um, Anyways, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the physical albums, um, film photography is definitely a lot more tactile, uh, more physical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting to me. I've seen a little bit of it, you know, people shoot film, but then we, the, we, we still live in a digital world mm-hmm. that we want to share our work with. Um, so it's kind of sad to, to see it's, it's exciting to see film, still be shot in that, that whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there was a change to more people physically producing stuff, even if it's a, a, a digital process, physical stuff. 
Um, one of the things that's cool with Dino is he actually takes the time to put together these books that he makes and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, have a physical copy of your, your work, which I think is really important. Um, and I, I wish more photographers would, would, um, would do that with their stuff. Even if it's nothing that, you know, maybe they're not trying to sell their work, but they should at least put it together in a, co- a physical collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's cool that you can go anywhere and share your work with anybody at any time, but it's still, you know, having a physical book is, is awesome to me at least. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to see that uh, a lot more people are shooting film, but that does obviously pose some challenges. Uh, one is supply chain issues and with COVID that kind of threw a wrench in things. Um, and a lot of people question, you know, what is it that, why can't I get film right now? Why can't I get color film? I want to shoot color film. And I think, uh, at least in my perspective, it's been a challenge for these companies to produce film and distribute that. Um, but also keep up with the demand. And then also it's a huge risk for them. Uh, I feel like Kodak and Fuji, they all look at film and they're thinking way further in the future than we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something that we want right now, uh, that we want to keep shooting. And they're looking at it going, well, we create what the future is. We're the ones that are manufacturing film Mm -hmm. and we can decide to stop producing it all together tomorrow. And is that going to hurt us as businesses? You know, in a sense, they Kodak's shifted to manufacturing tons of different product. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but like cheaper stuff that can be produced in different countries and then shipped to the U S or elsewhere and then, you know, purchased. So, um, it's a, at least this is my perspective, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of viewing how things have kind of gone. Um, but, uh, and same thing with Fuji. I, when Instax came about, I was like, man, they must be making bank cause there's so many people that fo- shoot, these little Instax, mm-hmm. you know, Fuji Instax cameras. And then like I found out they make a lot more money off their cosmetics because <laughs> all the chemicals that are used in the, the photochemistry are actually similar stuff that, um, ends up being used in the, the makeup manufacturing. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of crazy that the, the film has kind of shifted. Um, it's definitely more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, as far as, the uh, supply chain, I think part of it, some of the challenge there is uh, a lot of people don't realize that film, um, it takes uh, takes quite a bit of time to, to produce. And also part of that is the, the shipping. You have the base of the film manufactured in one, one place. And then that film then needs to be coated with the actual photo uh, emulsion. And... Um, that has to be shipped to a different place because unfortunately the same place doesn't do all of this. And then once that's done, then it's, it's ready to get, um, slit into smaller rolls for like 35 millimeter. And then in addition to that, they have to be perforated and the place that does the slitting doesn't do the perforation. So then that has to get shipped. It's, it's been shipped four times at this point, uh, since they started the process. And then in that, and then the, film then actually has to be shipped to go get packaged into the cassettes and then the cassettes act have to get labeled and then, and then they have to get packaged. And 
So there's there's quite a few steps in there. And then I didn't even mention the marking. You have to mark the frames. So um, all the frames are, are marked for the rebates. Um, and that's another step in there as well. Um, but um, the cost of shipping has gone up. So the, it's going to be reflected in the cost of film. And unfortunately, we kind of see that that happening where the, the film has jumped up in cost, mm-hmm. uh, especially with inflation. Um, with you know the rest of the world and our economy um but then in addition to that it's you know the challenge of the supply chain and the demand you know is it worth it for kodak to open up another manufacturing facility or improve their their processes um you know in my opinion i i question whether they look at film as a loss and you know, if it's worth them to, to bother with, I'm kind of concerned, obviously. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to look at film and see it and be like, this is a huge opportunity. So many people are shooting film. How come, you know, how come these companies haven't doubled down on film and got it out there? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, what was the last price that you spent on a roll of film? For an individual roll of something colored, it's anywhere from twenty to twenty-five dollars for, let's say, Portra four hundred, which I Ooh. think is kind of the the go-to for a lot of people. That's that's painful. It, yeah, <laughs> you, like I said, even in two years, it's almost doubled in price from where I was. Oh man, I have a I have a receipt somewhere. I think I shared it not too long ago. I spent two dollars and fifty cents on a twenty-four exposure roll of Fuji. C two hundred, and I was like two fifty a roll, mm-hmm. and I only bought ten. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, wow, I spent twenty five bucks. That was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's crazy to think that just just the um, the jump in in film costs in the past like five years. Um, you'd think that it would the price would come down. More people are shooting, mm-hmm. the demands there. More companies would start to produce more, um, and then that would be more competitive and. Um, then drive the price down like the, you know, typically, yeah. but, um, that's how it's supposed to work when you're producing something. But, mm-hmm. um, film is one of these weird ones where you have to have a lot of, um, equipment to actually produce the film. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my perspective on, on what we're kind of dealing with right now when it comes to supply chain challenges and, and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, yeah, I think another piece of it is our, my generation or people that are getting really new into film, they don't know what film originally cost back in the day. It's kind of when your parents were like, it was 10 cents for a gallon of gas. It's kind of, I think the same thing where they can kind of set these prices now and people, because they think of it as such a commodity, they will be able to just kind of buy into it and get used to whatever that new price is. But I've seen some good things. So with Euphoria, the show on HBO, the second season was shot completely on Ectochrome. So Kodak opened a whole new wing to be able to produce that much. And I I think I've seen certain movies start to go back to the traditional film making experience just to have that look, that noise, that uh, quote unquote aesthetic of film photography, especially in motion pictures. Yeah, absolutely. I think motion picture is really what's saving film. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It at least helps with these huge runs. And when you have a huge run of film being manufactured, you can still, you know, put in another uh, another run of still frame photography and, um, like, you know, film consumer film. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the movies and the shows, um, are definitely helping with, uh, keeping, keeping film alive. I think, uh, I'm sure, uh, 
Quentin Tarantino, his mm-hmm. name is almost, you know, almost synonymous with that whole conversation um, when it comes to movie production. Um, not the hugest fan of his work. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's good. Uh, it's different. Um, I like a few of his movies, um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, we need more, uh, more people out there shooting a film. And definitely, I, I would say it helps with... Um, like actors and celebrities um, when they promote film. Mm-hmm. It, it does throw a wrench in things when, uh, you know, a celebrity will come out and be like, oh, I've got a contacts T2. You know, I, I just shoot photos on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how I make pictures. And then boom, overnight contacts T2. Like it's, it's a thousand dollars. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a $200 point and shoot. And then now just quadruples overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes a challenge obviously with, um, with getting the, um, the equipment, um, which was another topic, um, equipment, popularity and hype, mm-hmm. uh, people getting that trendy photo. What's, uh, what do you do? What do you have to add? I'm, I'm sure if you experienced anybody that likes taking photography, motion pictures, video, whatever it may be, you've probably had someone man on the street, woman on the street, or some, one of your friends come up and say, Hey, that, uh, that's a great looking camera. I'm sure it takes great photos. And you're like, I love that saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. The camera plays a part in it, but of course <laughs> I, I think most photographers start to get their guard up a little bit. Like, listen, I've, I've poured, you know, a lot of time into this craft. It's not just the camera, but I think that's a big name brand too. It's just like cars or anything else. When you hear about the name brand camera, Contacts T2. Um, it, you know, this is a great point and shoot. If you know nothing, okay, of course, now I need to have this instead of knowing that there's thousands of other cameras. So I think it's interesting that some people really do want to to go for those name brands to, to be in that part of the trend versus the overall photography trend to say, okay, I have not only the coolest camera, but it's the most popular right now. Um, yeah, I definitely, I mean, it's hard for me to unwrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. It's, you know, that's that sort of thing is going to exist with um, anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you could be a skier and be like, oh, this new thing came out, mm-hmm. this new board uh, or, you know, skis or whatever came out. And, uh, you know, it's the cool thing to have right now. And everybody wants it. So mm-hmm. um, hype is definitely... Um, definitely an interesting thing when it comes to film. Uh, it was like that. I feel before I jumped into film or before I kind of, uh, really got back into film and and the community. Um, I noticed like with the digital community, it was a lot of gearheads. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I was shooting on a camera and it was the camera I'd been using for like five years and I didn't just buy another camera cause I couldn't quite afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I bought a, a Nikon D, 60 when I graduated from high school and I bought the whole kit for a thousand dollars. And at the time for me, that was a lot of money that I had saved up. Um, but you know, I was living at home. I didn't have to worry about bills. So, Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that camera was like awesome when I first got it. And then, you know, technology changes and then, you know, the, the next greater, faster, uh, sharper, higher resolution camera comes out and I'm like, oh man, I want that. But that doesn't, the camera isn't taking the photo. Mm-hmm. It's the person. Yeah. I mean, at that point, who should, you know, it's like one of those things like, why even bother being a photographer if it's not the photographer, you know, yeah. you just make that decision mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to take the picture at that moment. Everything else is set, you know, obviously it makes things easier. And it, I feel like the, 
technology that we have makes things easier to be more creative. Um, so that's a little different with the digital community. You're obviously wanting to improve your shots. You want higher dynamic range when it comes to uh, being able to capture your photo. You want to do less of the mental work involved to create a great image and be able to focus specifically on that moment, capturing that specific moment in that exact way that you want it. So it does improve the focus, the personal focus when, when creating, I guess. Um, but with uh, film photography, it's a little different kind of, you know, you want the nice equipment, but it's more of a community agreement that this is the cool camera. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm like, I've got all sorts of weird cameras that do all sorts mm -hmm. of weird things for me. I, I'm like, it would be cool to shoot with every, every kind of camera. Um, all the weird stuff like, um, uh, one of the cameras I just got this last weekend was a camera the uh, military produced and it would essentially shoot, um, a roll of film, but it wasn't just a 36 exposure roll of film. It was actually a hundred foot roll of film and it was designed for when infantry were getting documented or, uh, before they were getting like shipped out or as they were coming into the to, um, into the base to get, um, you know, all set up and everything. So they would take a photo and it would just be too exhausting to constantly have to change out the cassettes and mm -hmm. then organize them. So instead they would just get everybody in a list, get everybody lined up and then photograph them, give everybody a number that they hold up. Um, so it was just this crazy camera that had a very specific purpose. Like you don't take this out to go shooting. You like, you know, architecture, you don't go mm -hmm. to go underwater with it or anything like that. You, you go to collect lots of photos that are typically really boring, mm -hmm. you know? Um, the camera is also used for photographing books and stuff like that. So kind of a crazy camera, but I, it was happenstance. Uh, Stacy and I were at the antique store. We saw a tripod. We're like, Oh, this is cool. And pulled it down. And, uh, I was like, oh, we really need a tripod. And this is like a vintage tripod. This is cool. Mm -hmm. So um, anyways, kind of. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. The, the yeah. fun cameras, I think, is what really makes stands film apart because, you know, digital is digital. You can get higher megapixel dynamic range, like you were saying. But film, that that's the fun to it is there's kind of this random or I'd say more creative aspect in that regard. If I recently bought a 1999 like Pokemon issued camera Love and it. it has a kind of a, a filter over the lens. So every photo you take, it imprints some Pokemon next to you and it's not going to be sharp, but it's a lot of fun. And I think that's what I, I would encourage people if you're wanting to get into film photography, you don't have to go for the contacts. You don't have to go for the hassle bads. You don't have to go for any of those, you know, name brand or the most popular. I'd say if you're curious, uh, go on Goodwill auctions. They sell film cameras all day, every day from $10, $200, whatever it may be. And then just go from there. See if you even like it before you really try to hunt down that $1,000 dream camera. I totally agree. Uh, it's, it is a, it is a challenge. You, you want to, you want to participate in a community. Um, mm -hmm. You want to, you know, I think what's awesome is the community has grown. So there's, there's a direction you can go wherever it is. You mm -hmm. know, it's not just a bunch of film nerds that um, are obsessed with, the gear rather than taking the pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, it's everybody has their own important part in the community. I feel. Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, uh, I had somebody come in with a camera and it was like a pretty expensive camera. I was like, wow, you got a nice camera. And they said that they bought it and this is their first camera. I was like, that's a fancy camera for Mm -hmm. (laughs) first camera. Um, but, uh, you know, it, sometimes it's more challenging because the, the fancier cameras are a little bit more challenging to operate. You have to know what you're doing. There's not just, you know, throw it on auto and take Mm -hmm. a picture. Um, my biggest recommendation for people when they're starting out is just go buy a disposable camera and that's the bottom. I mean, your pictures aren't going to get any worse than that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've actually seen some really good photos. I was surprised. I, I saw, um, I had a friend who shot, uh, a Disney trip with, um, disposable cameras and I was looking at the photos. I was like, what did you shoot this with? It looks like it was shot with, you know, a fancy camera. It was clean. It was Mm -hmm. sharp. It was like exposed properly. And they're like, that's just a disposable camera. It was mm-hmm. like, wow, okay, cool. That That's why I like my AE1 program. Because if I want to be, you know, true f- photographer, I can go switch it to manual and really sit there and light meter. But if I'm just running and gunning with friends, you know, going wherever, I just put that thing on auto or program and just let it do the magic and see how it goes. It's just- oh, yeah. AE1's actually a really awesome camera. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few people who start out. And typically I either hear they have like a Pentax K1000, uh, Canon AE1, or um, one of those like like a Minolta. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all pretty decent cameras to start out with. You have full control of um, all the basics that you need: your shutter speed, your f-stop, and um, basically being able to manually control your ISO. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those three things are huge because that's essentially your exposure triangle, yeah. and uh, when you're starting now, you kind of have to comprehend that. You have to kind of really get that before you just jump into to, to going further. Um, so, yeah, the Canon A1's actually pretty awesome. I saw uh, a while back um, they were talking about it, and I was like, why is this such a popular camera? Why do why is there there was for a while there was some hype behind it, and so many people were going after it because it slightly overexposed all of the uh, the images. Hmm. So. What happens over time is the light meter starts to fail, but it doesn't just straight up fail. It starts to slowly um, get weaker. Mm -hmm. And so since it gets weaker, it compensates and overexposes everything. Um, And typically with film photography, uh, if you overexpose, you get a little bit more um, neutral, uh, a little bit more uh, flat images. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get this, I don't know, it just looks, it just looks different. Yeah. Um, So that essentially creates a trend and mm-hmm. then that trend is, you know, hyped. And so it's, it's one of these things where it's, it's interesting that a Canon A1 is driving this sort of this, uh, style of photography. Um, but nothing against a Canon A1. No, uh, those, I, I love them. <laughs> those, uh, Stacy has one. She shoots with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's an awesome camera. Um, and, yeah. I mean, there's a ton out there. Um, for a while I had beef with Leica. I was like, <laughs> you know, you don't need a fancy camera mm-hmm. to take a picture. Like everybody's so into Leicas. And then like it started to click a little bit more with me and, uh, you know, realizing that Leica was essentially the first commercialized camera. And, um, what's, which Leitz is the parent company that manufactured it mm-hmm. and Leitz, camera company turned it into Leica, which is, you know, those two things combined. And 
they manufactured the camera and that was kind of like the first camera that went out to the public for people to start shooting. Um, and, uh, I didn't realize that (laughs) for, for all the things I know, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then it starts to click and go, okay, it's, I guess it is kind of a cool camera, but still, I mean, you know, <laughs> the red circle's not worth the extra couple hundred bucks. I don't, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you should see Stacy's photos. She shoots with, uh, Mr. Potato head. Um, she has a show coming up. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll talk more on the podcast <laughs> later about that. But, uh, the joke there is that you don't have to have a good camera, uh, to take good, good pictures and good is subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, um, you can have amazing photography, but you personally feel like you don't have, like, it's not as good as it could be, you know? And then in your mind, you're, you think your photography is garbage or it could be the opposite way around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's good as subjective. It's, and, um, that, like I said, with the trend with overexposure, also with film development, um, I was going to say, this is something I kind of wanted to mention for a while is some of the labs, don't process the film properly. And so what ends up happening is, or they don't color correct properly. And so you end up with this different color that looks like almost like green in some, some images. Um, or, you know, it just doesn't look balanced properly. And then that becomes a trend for mm-hmm. a while. I remember seeing a lot of photos that were like, had more of like a green hue to them. And it's like, uh, kind of an interesting thing, um, especially when you have influence uh, over, uh, you know, amongst the community and you start to like really hype certain things, you can start to hype a trend that is actually like something that's not proper, mm-hmm. you know, like 800 teen gas stations, you know? Like. Yeah. Yeah. Sinistil, uh, mm-hmm. uh, still is like one of these things where it's, you know, where else can you shoot that sort of lighting? Yeah, well, the is you know, pretty cool. It's, uh, for some people, they love it. Others, like, how dare you, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, um, uh, which, you know, we can se- segue into that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, yeah, that that particular film's uh, interesting. Uh, Sinistil is, uh, or, you know, movie stock with the Remjet removed. Um, they've actually... I remember when 800 was pretty much the go-to and then now it's 800 and then they also have, um, what is it? 400 D. Yeah. They just came with 400 D and then they have 50 D. And then, um, I think the C, so a lot of people don't realize that that stock is actually cinema film. That's been, uh, uh, modified where the remjet layer that's on the back, that's typically used as a lubricant, um, and also, um, anti-halation, layer in film processing or actually in uh, movie production. Um, that's that remjet layer has been removed and then it's been repackaged. Um, and essentially that's when it's, that's how kind of Cinecell started, whereas they were, were removing that. And then they tr- struck up a deal with Kodak, um, and said, Hey, can we just like get the film without the remjet? We'll mm-hmm. just repackage it. And, um, you know, we'll buy part of your run and, they're like, cool. And so then it transitioned over into a company that actually produces that without the rim even added. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, recently, especially with, um, with, uh, the challenges of getting color film, like we were talking about earlier, 
Um, there's actually a few people that I know that have started respooling um, and bulk loading uh, ECN2 stock, which is essentially what Cinna still is. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the Cinema stock that then is cut down to smaller rolls rather than being used for a large production run uh, on a movie set. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's a process that's not new. It's been around for a really long time, but it's a ECN2 process where Remjet's removed in that development phase and um, or development process rather. And then there's uh, some other chemistry that's used. The bleach and the fixer are actually separated as opposed to like a traditional home processing kit for color film. And the colors actually pop a little bit more. You have a a little bit more dynamic range with that stock too. Um, So it'll be interesting to see more people um, in the meantime shooting ECN stock, which is starting to become, which kind of blows my mind, but starting to become more popular because the development process is going to cost a little bit more Mm because you have to have that remjet layer removed. Um, but yeah, the, uh, um, quiet we're dreaming, they produce, um, they produce some stocks that are essentially 500, 250, 50. Um, it's been a while since I've shot with their stuff, but they're essentially movie stocks that are cut down and then you can buy one of their chemistry kits. That's a, a, a quiet we're dreaming ECN two kit and then process your, process your film in that kit and the I've done it before I've actually processed um, Ektar uh, which is just traditional color print film and uh, it's amazing the colors that come out on that it's like a whole new world for people so it'll be interesting to see more people shoot with that and the hype kind of become a thing and it's it'll be interesting to, to see the fact that ECN2 film that is like the I guess like the fix for this issue that we're having with yeah. traditional color print film. Um, it's just, it's funny to me because traditional, you know, um, Portra, mm-hmm. uh, Ektar, um, Kodak Gold, all of these stocks are print films, but nobody prints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people will develop it and then scan it. And then you, you have an image at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another company that just came out, Amber. Um, yeah, I've shot with that. How, how did you like that? Was it? It, was, it wasn't as much on the 800T halation. I felt like it was a little bit more towards, I'd say, like normal colors, but it was it was good. It's a shorter roll compared to, I think it's only 26 frames in there versus your usual 36. But I like that stuff. I'm all for the weird film. I think that's part of the joy in it is, you know, like Lomography Purple. You take a photo, you think it's going to be green, comes out purple or... Lomography Metropolis, any of those, the the bubble films, double bubble, um, I, I enjoy. I think that's something that's kind of cool, too, because you get something straight out of the camera that's different than you would normally think or it would take a lot of work in Photoshop or whatever it may be, and it just comes out that way. And I, I've gotten to shoot some Kodak Vision 3, um, that ECN2 film that you're talking about. I got oh, shot, yeah. yeah, shot the 500T, and that was awesome. I took it to Hawaii, and the colors came out better than some of the other colored films I took. So I just I really enjoy it. Yeah, that film's actually, it's it's interesting. I have a role of um, uh, just the Kodak uh, mm-hmm. 500T in my fridge that I got from uh, a buddy of mine. And uh, I still got to chop that up and, and shoot it and see how, see how that performs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, the ECN2 process stuff is amazing. Um, the other stocks are interesting. A lot of people um, shoot with uh, stylized films. So like you just mentioned, the Lomo. 
Um, they produce quite a few Metropolis, which is a, a newer. Yeah, it, it kind of gives it a little bit more, um, let's say, less saturated look to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It it looks kind of, I don't want to use the term Mad Max, but it kind of does that where it, it kind of holds it more towards those dull orange and yellows. And it, it really takes like blue and makes it very, very grayish blue. So it, it, it I like it. It gives it that kind of metropolitan feel as the name suggests. Okay. Yeah, that's um, that one's a that one's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some that have been around for a while. Uh, Double Bubble, which is interesting, they have different effects that they add to theirs. Mm-hmm. There's um, another company, I think it's Revlog. Um, they have uh, they do like lightning bolts mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that through their images. There, there's and, another guy that does like psych blues, and he does kind of marks on the film, so it'll have either like a, a red circle in there, or the edges will have kind of fun colors poking through and whatnot. I, I think they're fun. I, I don't think you should take it always so seriously. Take a fun role. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. The, the, those films are definitely interesting. Um, yeah, the Lomo stuff, especially the, the Lomo purple. Um, mm-hmm. When I first developed a role and scanned it, I was kind of like, what is this? This is so strange. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, I knew mm-hmm. it was what to expect, <laughs> but I was still like, this is it's so interesting. Um, the negatives are really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, that one's like a two-tone. You have like like a purple and green, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. It's uh, Yeah, and you can shoot it at a variable ISO. They say it's good for 100 to 400. And I've seen some photos where if you're more on the 100 side, it's kind of like a lighter pink. And then when you're on 400 ISO, it's more of a rich purple, depending mm-hmm. on how you shoot it. And I've seen some people, and I haven't tried it, but I really want to, is they put like a yellow filter or an orange filter in front of the lens, and it gives it an aerochrome kind of red look to it. So I've seen a couple of those online. I don't know oh, wow. exactly how much they did in post to bring it back or whatever it was but they have that and then Lomography is going to be bringing out a uh, Lomo turquoise again so it'll do the same thing that Lomography purple does but now it's going to push it more towards blue so you can have blue trees instead of purple trees that's interesting mm-hmm. the the future <laughs> the future of film mm-hmm. um yeah that's uh that's all good good stuff mm-hmm. um it's awesome that we have these options it's interesting that we've we've kind of shifted away from having all of these different types of film. Like, um, I had mentioned earlier to you, uh, like you just brought over a roll of Sensia 400. Mm -hmm. Like that's, uh, they don't make that anymore. It's a slide slide film. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy. There's essentially Kodak Ektachrome, um, which is pretty much Mm -hmm. 100. And that's just like kind of the standard go-to now for slide film. Um, Fuji has, uh, they had Provia and Velvia, but is, is Velvia discontinued or Provia? I forget. It, or one is it of, Pro 400H? I know. That's a, that's a color print oh, film. Color? Oh, yeah. okay, pardon me. Um, I'm not sure. They still do Provia. I've seen Velvia still in stores. I don't know if that's just they canceled it at 2021. I'm not too familiar on that. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. When you look back, you're like, there was so many different types of film that you could use. And you could kind of pick your poison on what kind of color shading you wanted versus this and that. And I think we're seeing a small resurgence in that with uh, Japanese Camera Hunter. They're coming out with a new slide film, supposedly. Uh, Cine's still coming out 400D. So I think we're kind of getting this resurgence of something different. And right now, maybe it is these kind of more artsy films. But at the end of the day, I think at, at the joy for me with this film photography is that delayed gratification. You don't know what if. So if someone, I had some coworkers that call Velvia Velveeta because you get a lot of yellows <laughs> and orange out of it. Fair enough. <laughs> so I, I, I think that... I, you get to leave more of a photographer fingerprint, I think, when it comes to, to film photography in that regard. Okay. Yeah. I w- yeah, I would say. Um, it's, 
uh, it's great that we have options. Mm-hmm. That's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the films I like to shoot with, um, it's been a while, but um, XB2, that's been around for a while. Uh, Ilford manufactures a cross process. It took me forever to realize XP meant cross process. I'm kind of slow with certain things, but then yeah. they click and I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ilford XP2 is a black and white film that's actually developed in color chemistry. Oh, and cool. then, um, so you end up with a, a result, which is interesting. Um, it's nothing fancy, uh, like these, um, these newer stylized films, but, um, it is cool to see a black and white image that doesn't have any grain to it. Um, essentially mm. the film, um, the difference between black and white and color is black and white film. When you develop it, you create a negative and that negative is monochromatic and the silver blocks out the light. And then the light shines through where the silver hasn't been um, developed and fixed into the film. And it creates uh, essentially the reverse. And so when you shine light through it, then switches and Mm -hmm. turns into a positive. So black and white film actually retains the silvers as where. And so you would see the grain in a lot of black and white film. With color film, it's a little different. You actually have different bases in the film, which have layers of silver embedded in it. And when the light hits these certain layers, those certain silvers react, and then they change the way the bases change. And essentially, you have a color image in dyes, in dye form, and um, they're stacked in layers. And then you wash out all of the silver. So there's actually no silver grain in color film after you've shot and processed it. And so essentially what you have here is a black and white film that instead of having that grain like you would have with a traditional black and white film, you have developed a a really purple, uh, like a dense purple essentially. And, um, it's almost like a monotone purple color, but then, uh, Alex visually the, the negatives look purple. And then, um, obviously you scan it in as color and, and it, turns it into a black and white positive image. Hmm. Um, but that's a fun one to shoot with. Uh, it's cool for portraits cause then you have really clean black and white nice. portraits of people. Um, I just recently got some four by five of that, which oh, is kind of cool. crazy. So I've got to, I got to bust that out. Um, uh, fun, the fun stuff there's it's, it's cool with as much as it sucks that there's not as many film types as there used to be. We still have some. Yeah. And, that's important, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and picking back or piggybacking off of that, I have a question for you. With yeah. with technology advancing so much, you know, we with iPhones pretty much being you know like a red mini in your pocket nowadays with the the depth of field and how much you could do that. Why is it that so many people are wanting to go back to this analog photography where noise or grain is really a prominent portion of it? It's you can get sharp images, but when you look at like Ektar's like the finest grain versus doing eight hundred, what what do you think is bringing back? that desire for, I'm going to call them like imperfect, perfect photos compared to what a digital camera can do nowadays. Um, it's hard to say. I feel like we all live in the reality where we are grasping for something that isn't what we have to deal with on a daily basis. (laughs) So, I mean, we have the burden of, uh, our future and figuring out how we're going to be able to exist in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got challenges with water, with land, um, inflation, all these different crazy things that are um, just factors that uh, start to stress us out. Mm-hmm. And without getting super, you know, pessimistic, yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, our go-to is film and we can, we can live in this world where, um, what the overlords, uh, want to kind of like challenge us to, um, we're able to be, we're able to, to live a life where we can shoot film and, um, look at it and say, yeah, I know there's, this isn't perfect, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, plus in reality, uh, you know, shooting, um, shooting, with, uh, I don't know. There's, there's so, such a diverse group of film, film photography. There's the purists Mm -hmm. and then there's the people who are like the opposite of that. They're like, I'm going to, I'm going to load a, you know, a fancy camera with like, can you imagine like running some like terrible film through a Leica and then like, (laughs) uh, like, um, what do you call it? Souping like a, like film that you've run through like a, I think that's just the most like ironic thing. I yeah. think it's the, the hilarious, but, um, cause you have like this fancy camera and then you have this like grungy film, but mm-hmm. people are doing whatever it is that they want with when in regards to film, cause there's just so many people in it and it's so diverse that we've been able to have our own little groups and do our own little thing. Um, so you do have some people who are purists. I have some friends who are very like very particular when it comes to film. It has to be clean. I'm like, why not just shoot a digital camera that has a clean sensor? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's well, it's you know, it's different. I'm like, how is it different? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could easily they didn't have digital cameras back then, mm-hmm. you know. As for somebody who's like as invested in film as I am, um, it's hard because I've I have my own opinions, but I don't want them to hinder uh, the views that other people have, like, and I'm concerned for film. I, I will admit that I'm concerned for film. Um, just because the costs have gone up, we are at the mercy of the companies that manufacture it. Um, I mean, there's tons of film out there, but you know, and the people will hoard film. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've got plenty of friends who've got fridges full of film. I'll be like, can I buy a roll off you? And it's like, Nah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's some people who are like, yeah, whatever. But um, I'm kind of like rambling all over the no, place. But um, as far as film is concerned, I mean, there's we can do what we want with film. With digital, we're having to manipulate it. With film, it feels we feel less guilty because the result that you get with film, we can say, well, that was the film. Mm-hmm. That was the camera. Yeah. We we don't have to be at fault for these things. Mm-hmm. But we can also call that art and we can say that this is this is the art that we are creating mm-hmm. um you know it's trans that translation a painter has this image in their mind and they have to translate it through the paintbrush onto the canvas and they have to say well this is what i wanted and it's like that was that the exact image that you saw in your mind like if it obviously not photorealism but mm-hmm. you know is this the exact idea that you had and like with film photography it's like well it's this is what i figured i would get you know i took this picture and it came out like this Mm -hmm. um concert photography has always kind of been like a a weird one for me because usually the lighting's terrible and you're (laughs) you're using a point and shoot or like a disposable camera and i'm like those photos are just not going to look great but at the same time it's it's not about them looking yeah, great. Who cares? It's about that little memory. Mm-hmm. I've shot some concerts and I've been a little bit more on the critical, like getting a clean image because mm-hmm. I was shooting for the, for the venue. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, um, uh, 
reality with film photography. Uh, I feel it's kind of all over the place. Um, and it might just be my perspective cause I see so much of it. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, everybody has their own, their own little lane that they stay in. Um, and they find a, find this little place they feel safe and they do mm-hmm. their own thing. For me, I kind of, I'm just happy people shoot. Yeah. Um, back in high school, my class, I remember nobody was interested <laughs> and I was just like, why are you guys taking this class? I know it's an elective, but like, mm-hmm. why are you guys taking this class if you're not interested in photography? Um, but at the same time, like I could care less about, I was spent, I spent more time cutting mats than I did actually in the dark room. Cause I was more critical of like all the other technical stuff. Like, um, I like trying different things. Like I would try a different film, different cameras, different ways of developing it, different ways of printing it. Um, all of that stuff before I ever master anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, all for me interesting. And, um, uh, for, for other people, you know, there's some, some people that go out, they'll shoot one stock and that's the only stock they shoot and they shoot it through one camera mm-hmm. and they know exactly what they're going to get. Every time they shoot, they, they see what the camera is shooting, not what they see in their mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's, it's diverse. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an art in it, in and of itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm just excited. I mean, there's people that have terrible photos, but they're proud of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it's about. It's yeah. about, you know, going out there and being excited to shoot. And then I just kind of root for the underdog who's got like really good work or really good eye. And I'm like, like have faith in yourself, mm-hmm. go, go shoot more and find the group that like helps you be a better photographer. You got to do it um, for you at yeah, the end of the day. And I absolutely. think most artists have that feeling where, you know, you think you have the best photo you've ever taken in your life. You put it on Instagram or you show it to friends like, yeah, it's okay. And then they'll grab your quick point and shoot camera. Like that is, that's the photo. That's yeah. it. And you're like, I took two seconds and then I took 10 minutes composing this, that, and the other. But what I found filmed the most, and I kind of equate it to vinyl is you can be an audio file or a cinema file and you want to have these best 200 megapixel or, you know, a whole gigabyte for a one song. So it's the best pure quality. But I think with vinyl and film, that grain, that noise, that static, it fills the room. It kind of it fills in that gap. It's not as black and white anymore. It's It has an environment to it that you can't recreate or it isn't so realistic that you feel kind of unapproachable to it. I think there there's kind of a dreamscape to it. When you listen to vinyl, there's that crackle. It fills the, the silence in the room. I think the film photography does kind of that same thing where that noise, that grain fills in some kind of warmth that it, it's kind of undescribable in that regard that a normal digital photo can't do. Even digital noise, I don't think, can recreate whatever that magic is, again, of that that filling the room with that film photo. Yeah, I guess I guess the drive definitely is there. Um, you know, it's 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 two different things. It's two mm-hmm. different processes. Um, I mean, oh, who was it? Minolta? Somebody, one of these companies. Um, I think in the last three years, they produced this camera that had these little cartridges. Mm-hmm. And you put the cartridge in, it, the camera was digital. But when you go to shoot with that cartridge in the camera, it records with that sort of oh, cool. um, that sort of filter to it. And it was an interesting concept. They really hyped it up. Um, but it's still it's still separate and it's still something that you just can't achieve with mm-hmm. digital. Um, I hate to say it cause I wish I didn't believe it, <laughs> but 
you know, technology is advancing. We're seeing a lot more stuff with AI. And yeah. um, just the other day I took this, um, it was like a survey, I guess, um, of the this person who was cleaning up uh, dust and grain. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially like, I don't remember, like 100 photos and they were comparison photos. And you look at the two and they were close-up scans of film. Mm-hmm. One was had fake grain and dust and, and scratches and stuff. The other one had real dust and scratches and, and marks. And you had to de- tell which one was real and which one wasn't. Mm. And um, essentially he was building this like AI generator to uh, essentially emulate dust and scratches in order to remove that from film. Hmm. And so, um, so the intent there is to actually remove these impurities that we seek in film, but also in the reverse, you could, you could use that program to actually add that into digital photography. So it's, um, it's interesting because we're, we're moving in a direction where we have to start making decisions. And as film starts to increase further and further, the demand changes. So even if you're like, I'm going to shoot film to the day I die. I'll mm-hmm. buy a roll of film, even if it costs a hundred dollars and it costs a hundred dollars to develop and mm-hmm. a $200 investment on a single image that I'm going to get out of it. I'm still going to do it. Um, there's people out there like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing is that's not everybody. And I, I obviously am just, you know, concerned that the, the hype isn't going to uh, behind film is going to outweigh the, the costs, the long-term investment that people have in it. Um, but I think right uh, now the, yeah. the barrier to entry is still pretty low though. It's a little expensive, but you can, you can go to Goodwill and kind of get lucky. Some people are starting to resell a bunch, but you can go in Goodwill auctions. You can get a, a $10 point and shoot, the camera, you know, the, the film's probably going to be the most expensive part right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Film, film and processing, mm-hmm. it's probably more expensive once you get done with that first roll mm-hmm. versus buying the camera. The cameras are still pretty cheap. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how long that holds on. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but no. you know, m- more so a realist and being like, okay, how do we transition into a, a future? What else is there besides shooting film? And black and white film, I think, is highly disregarded, um, which I think is kind of a bummer. I don't think enough people shoot black and white film um, and really explore the avenues of creativity, um, especially when it comes to like printing. Mm -hmm. Um, You have the ability to to be completely analog through that whole process. But, you know, it's we live in a reality where I have more friends online than I do in person. I mean, mm-hmm. I interact with people more online than I do, uh, physically on a daily basis. I have a nine to five and then, you know, I come home and have dinner with my wife and then, you know, what is there outside of that besides inter- our interaction in person? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's rewarding to, to teach workshops and show people how to do film. But, um, for other photographers, I guess, um, the reality for them is really being able to go out and shoot with other people, or do it, you yeah. know, solo. A lot of people I know shoot um, on their own, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of factors that go into um, the future of film and, um, you know, how how things are going to pan out. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, I'm more on the optimistic side in the regard of, you know, digital will always be here. It's going to be more and more. 
Um, but I think if you, for example, I have a light meter on my phone all the time now. Oh, I yeah. can bring that Same. in for $2 <laughs> a month. I, you know, I can have my light meter for my film. And then circling back to infrared and trichrome photography, you can do that with your iPhone nowadays. They shoot infrared. I found that out on accident because I know a lot of film photographers for Instagram, they like looking through the viewfinder. So I was joking around with infrared because if you look through it, you're not seeing anything. It's completely black because it blocks out all natural light. I put my iPhone up to it and it lights up red. I'm like, what the heck is this? Turns out you can shoot infrared on your iPhone. If you That's just have the filter, ass. you can just hold it right to it. So I think there's going to be this kind of mixture. And like you said, you, you interact so much online, but it brings people out in person. I've seen through Phoenix Film Revival, you get 30 people out and do a walk downtown Phoenix and you get to do that. Or, you know, you think you're the only person in your small town doing film photography and then you just do the hashtag, let's say film Madison, Wisconsin. And then all of a sudden you find people that are into that and you meet people from you highlighting me this month. I've had five yeah. individuals reach out about trichrome photography. So I That's think awesome. there's a, a lot of optimists where digital can enable a lot of these old analog items that we have a lot of joy in. But yeah, it could be, you could see it attacking what is analog photography as the digital camera came to rise. We've lost a lot of film, but I think we are now in that perfect mixture of people are getting tired of just only digital. We live so much on our phones and computers. If we can find a camera that brings us out into the world, you can take photos in your house, but you're going to run out of subjects sooner or later, but you get to go out into the world, take these photos. If you don't know how to develop, you go to a workshop, you meet somebody, you take it to a store. All of a sudden you're making these connections more and more. So I think photography has been really great for my social life, uh, film, digital, whatever. It was just really, it brings people together in a lot of ways. I agree. I think, um, I think that's really what drove me to kind of participate in the community mm -hmm. um, and kind of starting the lab too is just you know the being able to connect with people mm -hmm. it's kind of boring doing it on my own I mean as I, I would say I'm kind of introverted or at least I have been in the past but once you start talking about film I won't shut up so mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh it's um I don't know it's one of those things that uh it's uh, it's, it's great for community it's great for connecting um, I'm excited to see how things change in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously there's, there's a concern there with, um, you know, just how, how do, how does the community support, um, the continuation of it? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can throw that out there. What's the, that's our question for the community is how does the community, uh, help, continue this and I guess uh, easy answer would be to continue to be community and um, interact with other people that shoot and kind of building the community uh, mm -hmm. and growing that and um, I've got friends all over the place uh, obviously uh, dark rooms are um, few and far between uh, just because of the the, um, the cash flow for a dark room to exist is challenging to, to have a space and then finding a very uh, particular group of people that come in and use the space. So um, we've been creative with keeping the dark room open, but um, luckily there's quite a few of us. So we have like this support network of, of mm -hmm. friends that um, are running dark rooms and sharing what it is that we can, uh, whether it be knowledge or um, materials or items that we might be able to um, help people with the resources um, that are also doing other community dark rooms. Um, but, uh, again, that's me off on a tangent. No. Um, but, uh, community is where it's at. And I think that, um, it's important that we, uh, foster uh, a healthy film community and do what we can to, to keep it going. Yeah. Um, that's really going to drive film and, um, do what we can to 
fight the the film man, mm-hmm. whatever that is, <laughs> driving it down. I'm just kidding. That's the imaginary mm-hmm. imaginary uh, the monster that I've yeah. <laughs> that I've created in my mind. <laughs> yeah, if I could add one more thing to that yeah. kind of community thing. I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but. If you're a new photographer or you're curious about film photography, don't be shy. I'd say get in, get into it, dive deep. You know, black and white's cheaper to start off of. Um, ask people, ask friends. If you go to a film store and they're selling film, I'm sure they're more than happy to give you all the information and help. And if you're an existing photographer and somebody, you know, slides in your DMs and said, what'd you use to shoot this? They're not attacking your style. They're not trying to take it. A new member of the community is how you grow the art form. And that's how we get some, you know, films back into the world. The more photographers we'll have, uh, I think that's really... It's on the the veterans or people that are in it, whether it's one year, 10 years to to be the mentors and answer those questions. And then for the new people, don't be shy to jump in. And the journey to competence, I think, for a lot of people is the most fun part of learning a new hobby of embracing the the suck at the beginning. I'm not knowing anything. And then you learn little things along the way. And all of a sudden you can see these metrics of growth. So for new photographers or if you're curious, dive in. It really isn't that big of a barrier to entry. And there's so many people that would love to help to teach you how to do this. And then on the flip side, if you're a veteran photographer, maybe, you know, give up that frozen roll of film that you've been holding on to. You know, if there's a portrait yeah. 400 roll you're holding on to and somebody is new and wants to try it out, that roll of film will mean so much more to them compared to just sitting in your fridge. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. It's community and, um, you know, it's giving back what you got in the beginning. Yeah. Um, nobody starts out anything and is proficient in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, can't name a single thing in my life that I've ever done that I didn't suck at first. So, um, you're, you're going to get on the bike, you're going to fall off, but it's, you know, getting back on, keeping going and, um, seeing where it takes you and, uh, being open to suggestions. We get a lot of, uh, we get pretty discouraged sometimes, uh, in life and it's hard. Um, you know, we tend to compare ourselves to others, but we need to, kind of change our perspective on that and see how, what can we benefit from others and what can we give back mm-hmm. uh, to the community and others? Um, uh, and especially in regards to film. Yeah. So and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to print it. It, it can yeah. live outside of the, the yes. digital space. <laughs> prints do the prints. Oh man. Oh man. I could, I could ramble on about printing. <laughs> yeah. And we got to wrap up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you of course. so much Connor yeah. for, for coming on. Um, I appreciate your uh, insight and your um, your background with film photography and trichrome. Trichromes can't speak today. Mm-hmm. Trichromes are pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to try them myself. Um, yeah, it seems like a, a interesting process, and uh, excited to share more this month uh, on your work. Um, if you aren't a Patreon member and you would like to sign up, you can snag one of Connor's prints. Um, we'll be sharing which one that one is going to be pretty soon. Um, not exactly sure. Maybe we'll get this uh, podcast up uh, ASAP so we can get people hearing it. Um, hopefully tomorrow. Today's Saturday. Tomorrow's Sunday. Let's see if we can make it happen. Very cool. Um, anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us for another podcast. And uh, stay safe and shoot film. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.